morning, church. I'm glad you guys didn't melt this week or you made it here intact. Um, who likes math? Jack loves math, right? So you are in one of 320,000 churches in the United States today. And what, is 400 million people right now in the United States? That's like, so what's the math on that? 320,000 or? You're looking so at the wrong About 1,200 people per church, right? So open the church, where the people? There we go. Anyways. And this is actually, this is actually more of a pack. This is actually a pretty full house for most churches. So you are one of the few. <laughs> but, you know, it's going to take a radical change in our, in our, in our, in our attitudes about, about God and, and, and this whole, you know, this whole journey that we're on right now, you know, that we're going to build these churches up with believers. So anyways, I just like the, the math thing, really. No, 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 actually, I, I, I do, I do appreciate the, uh, the fact that we're all here today and we're, we're all here by appointment and we're all, we're all here to just worship God and just, and find out what this whole radical thing is that we're trying to learn about right now. Anybody reading that series right now? So the one thing I, I heard this week was somebody said, you know what, we're, uh, we're here to serve God. God is not here to serve us. You know, that, that that's an interesting turn. I think a lot of people in the United States think that we're that God's here to serve us like like Burger King or something. You know, we pull we say, hey God, we need something. And he's like, okay, you're number five, you know, pull around and pay your money and be be right on that. Well, my job is to sing music and sing songs for God, so I'm not here to profess my staggering statistical facts or nothing like that. <laughs> so let's stand up and let's uh See if we can lift it up high today. Let me see if I can find my my pad real quick. Get a little background. Get a little drum going back there. All right. Sounds like a war song. But it is there, right? Are we in a war? Yeah, we are. Support me in the whelming flood 
they'll come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. On Christ, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. strength and all my strength is in you come on church and all my peace is in you and all my life is in you one more time all my hope
with me. I have decided, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. He took my sins. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. Yes, he did. And he bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. We're singing, how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love. None go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. With the ransom glory, and with the ransomed in glory. His face I last shall see It will be my joy through the ages To sing of His love for me Sing of His love Sing it out Singing how marvelous How wonderful And my song shall cross before me the world behind me no turning back 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 you got some praise Lord God, we just want to thank you today for bringing us back together through another week and uh, just safe and sound and God, just a place that we can come and worship you. Again, we are in the middle of our radical series.
And God, we just pray that you will um, stir in our hearts um, just to have us um, do exactly what that song says. Number one, just recognize how marvelous you are. But number two, God, that we just make a decision to follow you with every ounce of our being. As Wayne alluded to, we are in a spiritual battle. And uh, many times, God, we're, we're just uh, acting like it's peacetime mode. And so here we go today, God. Just want to hear about what you have to say about um, radical sacrifice and radical grace. But ultimately, God, we just want to grow closer to you. In Christ's name, we all pray. Amen. All right, before our children go to our Shoreline Sunday School Ministry, um, as they're going, go ahead and greet everybody. Say hi. Um, somebody that you haven't seen before, somebody you have seen, say hi. Good morning. There we go. Great to see everybody here. Um, glad that you're. Uh, glad that you're here and feeling good. Is it hot for anybody? Had enough heat. Remember? Remember back in in February. All right. Just think, we're in a little while. We'll be at Christmas, and it, and it may be cold. It may be maybe warm. Who knows? We don't know around this place. But there will come a time. I will bet that we will have snow. And I saw a farmer's almanac said it's going to be the worst, one of the worst winters ever. So enjoy the heat now because you will be griping in a couple months. And so will I. All right. So, but I just wanted to, uh, to say, you know, Merry Christmas early. Um, so, and all that kind of good stuff. All right. So, uh, Good morning. We just want you to have fun today. Hopefully you will. Hopefully you'll connect. We want to welcome those here, any visitors that are here. Again, we're glad that you're here. We don't believe you're here by mistake, but that God brought you here. Also, we want to welcome anybody who's watching online. As we recognize, you know, summer is a time where people are traveling, doing all kinds of things, and, um, and maybe somebody's joining us for the first time here today online, so welcome, welcome. Um, uh, although, because of travel and stuff, we don't have really anybody signed up, I don't think, as of now, for our membership class afterwards. If some people want to hang out and connect and find out that, Debbie and I will be here just to, just to touch base um, after church if anybody would like to know more about Haven, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we are willing to do that. Um, Sunday prayer time, we've mentioned that before. They are meeting before uh, church, and you can join them. Radical Bible study, we're on week two um, of being radical, and, um, or at least looking at it. And um, real quick, Wayne mentioned how many of you are part of that group. How many right here are now? I know there's others who aren't here today. But how many are, are, um, are part of the Radical Bible Study or have the book or have been, been involved, have read that or, or whatever, have been part of that? Okay, because I, I believe we had like 50-some people that, that are doing that. It, um, if you're like me, and we'll talk more about this, you read something and then you wrestle with it. Okay, you read something, wrestle. You wrestle and you read. It's a good thing. Um, so that's, that's often good. And today I just want to share um, some things about um, radical sacrifice and radical grace. Um, we always have a prayer in there. I ask you to continue to be praying um, that during the series. Amazon Smile Reminder, um, time for school shopping. 
Sorry, kids, um, and sorry, teachers, even more so. Um, but it is getting that time for um, getting ready for school. And um, if you get things from Amazon, you can click on Amazon Smile, which donates. Um, and if you want to contribute, it's a small way that they, you buy something that you need anyway, and they will go ahead and contribute to um, Haven Church, if you'd like to go ahead and do that. Youth group will be starting. Um, the first meeting is September 6th, and Tuesdays, 6.30 to 8.30. Anything else we need to say about that? No, just pray for us. Okay? Pray for us. There we go. We can always use prayer, that's for sure. And new school year begins. Um, we're going to um, be having registration so that we, um, we know. One of the things that I would like to share is um, we shared this several years back when we went to more security issues because in case you don't know, we do live in a world that is not secure. Um, we live in a world that is uh, filled with evil and um, other kinds of things. And one of the things that we want to do as a church is not, is, um, uh, Scripture says um, uh, to, be, to be wise, um, that we should be very wise. Uh, wise as serpents. So we need to be wise. So one of the things we need to do is we want to be wise and we want to look ahead. And so um, we, security is a major issue that everywhere, and we want to make sure that kids and, and everybody here is safe and secure, and we've taken steps to do that. One of the processes of that is registering your children, um, and, um, and so I know it's going to take, it takes some time to go ahead and do that, but believe me, uh, in, in the horrible world, I have five kids, that something happened and they, and they went missing and we had to go through that, it allows us to have more security in place. So please, as, as we're getting ready for this registration, please make sure you do that. Please make sure you follow through the process. And if anybody would like to help with that, um, um, we can make sure that you have the right connections to help um, make those things happen. We do background checks and everything to make sure that your kids primarily are safe and also that you are safe in here. Um, because as we well know, we can't be assured of anything anymore except for Christ. So we want to, I just wanted to say that. So please make sure you do that. It helps the teachers and helps everybody else as well. Also, um, Haven's Helping Hands, that's Triple H meeting today um, at the church. Um, and I just see school supplies. What does that mean? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Yes, Operation Christmas Child. I told you Christmas is coming. Um, and so Operation Christmas Child, we support that every year. Um, remember last year I showed you a, um, a video of a boy who gave a box, followed up, found out, and ended up marrying the girl. So um, if you want to use it as a plan, hey, God, God works. Um, so, but anyway, um, so just remember, right now you may be gathering stuff to put in that could be your next spouse. So, um, but if you want to go ahead, go ahead and start to, now they have the sales, you can start gathering things together um, for Operation Christmas Child, and we will be having those. And Paris Foundation is the 21st. Do we still have opportunities? Awesome. I love that. I love when we say we've got opportunities, which is a nice churchy way of saying, come on, people, sign up, right? And fill a void. And it's always great when we're a week ahead and we have that void filled, um, particularly serving the least of these, and that's an awesome, awesome way. Um, okay, so uh, Debbie, you good? Okay, good. Just checking. All right. So we want to lift up in, um, we have some prayers at this time. Robin Hildebrand has asked for prayers for Don Smith. Um, He'll be having IV infusions every other Wednesday through December to fight an infection. Nancy Anderson, we want to pray for Nancy Anderson for safety um, during the flooding in Baton Rouge and for everybody who's involved with that um, and for, for the riots in Milwaukee and other kinds of things. Um, it's just, sometimes you just hate to turn on the news, don't you? Um, but 
I think a lot of times it's good for us to see that so we go, wow, we're, we're, um, we're shocked into saying, my gosh, stuff is happening uh, around us that we don't know. Um, a couple other prayers. Many of you got a prayer request this week. Um, Jacob and Miguel got home really, really early. Um, Jacob was at a Young Life event in the pool, um, and somebody dove into the pool and with their mouth put a big cut in his head that uh, required eight um, staples. Um, I was asking, was it McJagger that jumped into the pool? Because, I mean, it's like this big. Um, so but anyway, he, he, uh, I, he had a concussion and stuff, and so did the other person who jumped in, McJagger. Um, but all in all, all in all, um, everybody's healthy and good. He's just got, got a scar on his head and um, can be put back together. Um, but we want to be uh, praying for him. Another thing that we want to do as well is we want to be praying for those who are going away to school. Next week, we will be taking him to school. I know... Um, I know some of them have, um, have gone already, his buddy Wyatt. I know others are, are heading back. Um, and so in our prayer today, I just kind of want to lift up all those who are going back to prayer, uh, going back to school, and for the families and everyone else. All right? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. And um, again, there are so many, so many things to be thankful for in our world. And um, we do thank you for that, God, uh, for just everything that you give to us, everything that you grant to us. You are an amazing God, and you are marvelous and wonderful. And uh, it's, it's hard to believe that you have that much love for us and, and toward us. And so, God, um, we, wanna li- we look at our prayer concerns, and we lifted up Don Smith and Nancy Anderson and um, all the others who are dealing with floods and all kinds of other things. Here we are burning up and, and like, oh my gosh, it's so hot. And yet other people have uh, more rainwater and other things and are losing absolutely everything. And so God, be with them and encourage them during this very, very difficult time as they don't know what to do um, when it seems like all the, all the life that you lived and everything that, it, uh, that you treasure so much just seems to be washed away. And so God... Um, comfort them with the comfort which we ourselves don't understand. And even right near us in Ellicott City, as they begin to, to work through that cleanup process, many of them lost everything as well. And God, for, um, for others that we look at, for, uh, I thank you for the fact that, um, that even though our, our, uh, that we, you've given us children to take care of, that God, um, we rejoice in that time that, um, that you still watch over them even when, uh, when things happen. Uh, and injuries, like in the case of my son. And God, as a, as a first-time father sending a kid off to college, I know there's a lots of emotions, and there's lots of other kinds of things, but God, we just pray, I pray for anybody who's, and for the, chill, for the young people who are going away to school or are already there, that God, you will just send your hedge of protection upon them, that you will um, cause them not to have sabbaticals from their brains, but that they will um, connect to you and just really recognize that there's a great love for you. And so God, um, May we as a church not, um, not just let them head off, but may we support them and pray for them where we are. God, as we move forward now to this time, which we call your tithe and our offerings, um, again, we stop. And, and as we, in the mindset of this radical and the numbers that I shared last week, that over half of the world survives on $2 or less, $2 or less a day. Sometimes that may come in 5 or $10 a day, and sometimes it may come in nothing. And so, God, we have been blessed so greatly to be um, born or, or to, be, to live and be raised and uh, survive in this country called the United States where we have a freedom of worship and we have opportunities that many in the world don't. But more importantly, God, we are your church that 
in many ways has gotten complacent to the needs of the billions of people around the world that are suffering and dying. And so, Lord, today, uh, forgive us and may this, may a portion of what we give back for the tithe and your offering, may we be, may be radical funds that are used to transform your world and reach many people for your kingdom. So God, anoint the rest of the service for you. We claim this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Oh 
Our scripture this morning is Luke 14, verses 25 through 35. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. mantra of the American dream is to advance yourself with hard work, ingenuity, innovation, you can have it all. The frightening reality of the gospel, Jesus does call us to give up everything we have. If we're going to live for the sake of 4.5 million lost people and thousands and thousands and thousands of kids who are dying every day because they don't have food on their table, then that means radical change in our lives and our families and the church. Church, we are plan A, and there is no plan B. Am I on? There we go. How you doing? Everybody good? That wasn't, that wasn't convincing. Are you good? Yeah. I really don't care, but <laughs> no, I do. I do care, so let me get myself situated. All right, this is like, I was thinking, this is like the first August in like five years that it actually feels like August, right? Remember we like had 70 degree weather for the last couple, would it be guy? <laughs> August is, I don't know, kind of like fungi? So anyway, all right. Um, so uh, if you have a Bible today, I hope you do. If not, um, we have some of the scriptures for you, but um, love for you to um, have your own, your own Bible. I, one of the things I, I appreciate is when, um, is when I've, um, you know, sometimes, occasionally when I do funerals for people, somebody will grab their Bible and they'll hand it to them. Um, I know we have Bibles here. You can download them now, which is awesome too. You can put notes. But like when somebody gives a Bible and you see like all kinds of things written in it and um, 
many people might remember uh, the family Bible, where you wrote all kinds of like birthdays, anniversaries, special days. Um, that's where you went to find like birth certificates and other kinds. Of, it was like, you know, everybody shoved everything in there. So, um, but, um, so, you know, it's just one of those things. And um, again, if you, if you need one, um, can't afford one, I guess one of the things they're uh, expensive, let us know. Um, I always think everybody should have a Bible, and many of us probably have uh, like three or four of them sitting around where we, uh, we, don't, we don't use. They just collect dust and other ones. Like some of us have our favorite Bible too, right? That's our Bible, all right? So if you have one, um, where am I going? Go to Luke chapter 14, because um, that's where we're going to be most of the time today. We'll bounce around, but most of the time we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. And, um, and so in, in light of last week's messages, there's some things that uh, I wanted, uh, some of the verses that we shared, and we're going to talk about that. Obviously, Debbie read that today. This verse, um, where the, particularly the one um, that, where Jesus says, hate your mother and father and your brother and sister and your wife and children and go sell all you have and give to the poor. You know, when we start looking at that, many of us who have bad family arrangements are like, all right, I can serve Jesus because I can't stand them suckers. Um, but that's not what it's about as much. Um, and so we might, we might be, we're going to wrestle with some of that today. Like, am I really supposed to hate mom and dad? Uh, am I really supposed to hate my brother and my sister? And then, you know, go uh, sit in a hut, uh, a, a tent somewhere with nothing. And, and so we're going we're gonna to talk about some of this stuff today. Um, and one of the things is, as I've been planning a lot, a lot of service, I'll tell you, this is one, of, I'm doing a lot of wrestling, not only in the study. Um, as I said, I read something and then, and often I, I've been listening to the audio book um, with him reading to me. And, and, and with, with doing that, it, sometimes I hear it, I argue, I wrestle, I try to, to work through it, and then I've got to go ahead and share something on Sunday, and sometimes I'll be sh- writing something down that I feel God was wanting me to share. I'm like, really, God? No, because he's wrestling with me still. So just to let you know, I like it, but I will also be glad when this series is done so I can go back to my comfortable living. No. The, the, the thing I want to do is it to challenge me to transform me into a radical Christian. And so um, I've got to be careful because the questions that I'm going to be asking throughout this series of you are the same ones I'm asking for me and my family. Um, and the implications of what God's word says about the lost and what his word says about the poor and others in our lives is something that I'm wrestling with. And as I mentioned last week, I'm not quite sure where the journey is going to end. Um, and I don't have all the answers for me and my family, let alone for you. All I can do is to share what Christ says and have you work with that with him as well. And then the other thing that I deal with is that I recognize that as a pastor that God has put leaders in the church to put his word in action and often to model that. And so that's another area that, we're, that I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with and working through. And But... So I want you to pray for me and pray for this church as we do this um, because I think it has the power to be transformative not only for our church and not only for the individuals in the church, but I'm going to also make a claim for the entire world because when individual Christians really embrace something radically, some of the things that Jesus says, if we put it into action, it will change the world. Um, And so... Um, the main picture that I think we're all asking and that we're dealing with is, what does this look like in our lives? What am I supposed to do with this stuff? 
And I want to tell you, number one, I want, to, I want the answer to be, avoid being too specific. You say, wait a second, Jack. Why? Why? Because I believe that our modern system of Christianity likes to-do lists. We like to-do lists. Okay, go, Jack, go ahead, say this, do that, do that. Woo, you're in. Go ahead, if I do this, then I will be, and we like that. And it's a danger when I give, or when we feel like we always have to have a to-do list in order to work with God. It's a, it becomes a Christianity that consists of external um, regulations, and I believe one of the things it does, it takes the beltway around the heart. And so we don't pierce right through the heart. So what I believe is God wants to take his word to show us what his word says and to drive us to his spirit and be driven by that. And that's what wrestling with these things does. It causes us to take God's word, not Jack's word, but God's word, to see what it says, to wrestle with that, and then to say, okay, God, you call me and lead me to what you want to by your spirit. And we've got to do more than, and what I want to see, I want to see more than what we've done in other groups. For instance, how many of you remember when we did the Purpose Driven Life? How many remember when we did Transform? How many remember Contagious Christian? Well, some of you still here, been around for a while, right? <laughs> okay. Um, how many of you remember Sun Stand Still? How many remember 30 days or one month to live? We learned a lot. But one of the dangers that we do is we get involved, we have a lot of good stuff for a month, and then we put it on the shelf with a book. What I really want to see happen is this to bleed into our spirits, into our hearts, and for God to change us in, in this. And so that's what I really want us to, to, to see. Because often what we see is elements of our modern Christianity are very foreign in the New Testament. For instance, a lot of times we say, say to people in this checklist way, you answer the right questions that I say to you, you pray the right prayer, um, or the sinner's prayer, you sign this card, you go through this class, and then you're good. But Jesus has none of that in the New Testament. Jesus simply says, follow me, and then he gives terms and areas in order what it, the cost is to following him. And so let's look today at there's crowds that are following Jesus. And remember last week when I said, anytime Jesus had the crowd getting big, he said stuff that cut their legs right out from under him. Like, Gee, they're disciples, man, Jesus, look at this. People are cruising. We're, we're building this. We're, we're growing. We're going to be like a mega movement in a while. Look at all these 15,000 people on the hillside. Woo! We're going to be rocking it out, Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can not be part of me. And they say, I'm out of here. Right? Jesus had a way of not embracing modern church growth principles. And so as Debbie read to us, I'm going to reread so we have a connection once again. And Jesus says, is talking about following him on his terms. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother and father, his wife and children, his brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays a foundation and is not able to fit it, finish it, everybody who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or wait, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able 
with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ear, let him hear. Now, I want you to imagine right now that you are those first hearers and Jesus just said that to you. You're seeing that Jesus is becoming this rock star around the place. People, he's famous. People, he does healing. He does teaching. He does all this awesome stuff. He could be the Messiah. And these are, you, you get all together. You make a travel. You bring your, your lunch. You say, wow, we're going to hear Jesus. And you go and you sit and he says this. Hey, everybody, hate your mom and dad. Hate your kids. Hate your wife. Hate your husband. You're like, really? Really? Oh, anyone who wants to take your cross, you gotta, you gotta take up your cross and follow. Wait, this makes no sense. You're immediately saying, what is this guy thinking? What is he doing? So I'm supposed to hate mom and dad, my brother, my sister, my children, and then I'm supposed to pick up the known instrument of torture and death and give up everything I have and follow you. For the most part, Many of us would say, uh, Jesus, you lost me at hello. I'm, I'm checked out now. Keep in mind, he was not speaking to mature followers. This is his opening, come join me speech. This is his welcome. Imagine if I said, welcome to Haven Community Church. I hope all of you hate your wife and your husband and your kids. Welcome to Christianity. It's not a really good opening line to get people to follow you, is it? Anybody, anybody think that's awesome to follow him? For the most part, Jesus loses us. And it's funny how this is Jesus' introduction. And, he, and like I said, hate your mother and father. Pick up your cross and give everything you got. Compared to our Christianity today, these words are so radical because they seem so foreign to us. But yet Jesus is using this as the first thing that he says to people, the elementary basic truths. So many times in our churches today, we struggle with this concept of being a Christian versus being a disciple. I'm a Christian, but I want to be a disciple. It's like we believe that there's two levels of Christianity, and we've kind of ranked them in our, our Christianity. A thin, like, veneer level, a thin level where we say, okay, I said the sinner's prayer, I believe in Jesus I, I, on the box that I got to check, I'm a Christian, and it's not going to cost me anything. And then two are the level that are really interested in going to deeper, deeper relationships of Christianity. But I want to share with you once again, this is found nowhere in the New Testament. Now, I realize we are all in different places in our spiritual journey and our growth. But when we look at Luke 14, it's actually an evangelistic text. Jesus is actually giving an evangelistic if-then kind of thing, where he says, if anyone does not do this, then he cannot be my disciple. And so the question that I really want to ask today is, have you ever responded to Jesus on his terms? You may have been in church for 80 years, and yet you may have never responded to Jesus on his terms. And so what I want to do is I want to share three terms that Jesus provides for us right here and shares with us 
about following him and if we're ready to respond to that. Number one, you ready? You ready? Are you ready? There we go. Okay. If not, that's all I got. All right. Number one, Jesus requires superior love. Superior love. In verse 26 of Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother and father, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's pretty strong. That will get your attention. That will wake you up. So what does it mean? What is Jesus, Jesus saying? When I read this, it, you know, this is not something that pastors like to preach on. We would rather talk about Jesus multiplying the loaves and the fish. Um, we, we'd much rather talk about Lazarus and all these kind of things. We don't want to talk ab- about hate, Jesus telling us we got to hate people, right? Because how are we supposed to do it? I don't get it. If we're supposed to hate these people, what happened to love one another? I'm confused. What about verses like, honor your mother and father? That, that your days may be long on earth. That means I'm going to die if I hate them, God. I'm going to die real quickly. And then, so what am I, I'm, am I really supposed to hate my wife and kids? Now, one of the things that we've got to be careful about in this series is we have a dangerous temptation, and I have hit it regularly in planning for this series, is that when we get to a hard teaching or hard words, we try to soften Jesus' words. He didn't really mean hate. He didn't, not not hate. No, 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 that must be a translation there. Jesus doesn't hate. Uh, And so what I want to do is we've got to be be cognizant of that, and we've got to look at the Scripture to see exactly what Jesus says. And Scripture interprets Scripture. And so what I want to do, I want to go to Matthew's Gospel and take a look in Matthew 22, what he, what, it said, and it kind of helps a little bit with Luke 14. In Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40, Jesus is speaking with a teacher of law. And the teacher of law comes up and says, which is the greatest commandment of the law? So he's asked for one commandment. What's that one thing? What's that top thing that I can, again, you see what he's kind of doing? What's my checklist? I want to make sure I got it covered. I want to make sure I got it. So he says, what's that one thing? And Jesus replied, you know this verse, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and strength and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now, we want to rank, but there are no priorities in our affections. In other words, what I'm saying is, there, man, how many of us, have, I remember I was in Sunday school, and I love Sunday school teachers, um, but this is part of the, the, the deeper journey into faith. And I was taught as a kid, joy. Jesus, anybody else know this? Others and you. It's like, okay, I love Jesus, then I love others, then me. Right? Joy. Okay? But... We look at this, God first, family second, others. But God is everything here. I don't see that in the scripture. I see God is everything. The neat thing, though, is that love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength is intertwined. Look at what Jesus said. He said, the first is this, love God with all that stuff. And the second is this, is equal to this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets, all the things I'm here to do rest on these two things. I shared many years ago, a couple years ago, where I really had an opening that how, does, how do we say, I can say, I love God. Let me ask you, how many have ever heard somebody who says they're a Christian, who says they love God, 
but is the most evil person walking the face of the earth. Anybody, raise your hand. I want to get it. There we go. Lots of hands. Y'all know the same people I do. I got you. All right. So in doing so, and when that happens, how do I know that I love God that it's just not speak? By, how I sh- by my love for God, I will show that unconditional love for others. And it's manifested in my relationship with others. That's why it's so intertwined. So when we go to Matthew 10, Matthew 10, 37 through 38 is very familiar to Luke 14. And it says this, anyone who loves his mother and father more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. In other words, the love for Christ must be superior. In other words, we can't have love for others if we don't have a superior love for Christ. In Luke 14, Jesus uses the word hate, which is a strong and offensive word. And I believe what Jesus is communicating in is love for him is intended to be so supreme for his disciples among all others that compared to everybody else, the love that we have for Christ, the way we work with everybody else, it looks like hate because of the intense love that we have for God. So in comparison to Christ, and in comparison to our love for Christ, we hate the people that we love. It's not that we don't love them. It's that this whole thing comes full circle through our love, our intense superior love for Christ. Feel like you're on a merry-go-round? All right. And what this does, it changes our perspective. It changed our perspective. When love for God is so supreme, what kind of love are we going to have for our mother, our father, our children? We're going to have the love of God, the love God has for them. Let me give you a, a picture. Men, how do you live out Ephesians, which says, love your wife as Christ loved the church, that he gave his life up for her? How do you live that out? without a superior love for Christ. You don't. You simply don't. It's impossible. One flows to the other. Christianity does not and should not contain a begrudging obedience to God. Like for instance, say I either leave or say I'll come home and I say, hey Melissa, and I go up and I give her a kiss on the lips and she looks at me and goes, why did you do that? And I said, well, on page 25 of the marriage manual, it says that I must go ahead and show affection. And a good example of that is a kiss on the lips when you walk home. So that's the only reason why I did it. She's going to shove that manual in places that it shouldn't be, right? Because there's not a love, it's an obligation. If I say to my kids, oh, I love you, you say, Dad, why did you say I love you? Well, that's what it said in the parenting class. It said I should, otherwise I'm going to really mess you up. You know? Right? Why do we do that? Out of intense love for them and out of a love for my wife. But if I have that intense love for God, I'm going to have that incredible love for them, even though it may look like I hate them compared to the love I have for God. They fail in comparison. But often we have it mixed around, don't we? We have an intense love for our spouses and for our children and for um, stuff in the world, and then God just kind of gets our leftover love, right? That basically, we do this Christian thing to keep our butts from getting burnt in hell, 
and check our, our cards. They're like, whoo, get out of hell free card. Woo, thank you, Jesus. Is this ringing with anybody? Rather than have an intense love that the reason why I'm a Christian, the reason why I do it is because I have incredible love for God. So do you love him? Do you love Christ? And do you want Christ? Do you love him with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul, your whole strength? I'm not asking, do you go to church? I'm not asking, do you read your Bible? I'm not asking, do you pray, do you teach? Do you you raise kids so that they aren't up on the post office wall? I'm not asking those questions. I'm asking, do you love Christ and do you want Christ? Because he should be the reason that we live, the one for whom our heart beats the affection of our, our drive in life. This is the picture of superior love. And it makes all other love look like we hate. And a great example of this is, is from a guy named John Bunyan who wrote a book called, many, many years ago called Pilgrim's Progress. Anybody ever heard of it? And John Bunyan lived in a time when it was not easy at all to be a follower of Christ, particularly not a preacher of the gospel. He preached and he was told that if you don't stop preaching, you're going to be thrown in prison. He and his family were not well off. Um, his wife and his children, he had one who was blind and barely, they barely had enough to eat and to live on while he was not in prison. And he knew that if he was put in prison, that it would truly just, just have economic effects worse than he can imagine on his family. So what did he do? What do you do when you're looking at, here's the love for God and the gospel of God, but if I keep doing that, then my family is going to... So what did he do? What would you do when you faced with that decision? For Bunyan, he said, I'm going to keep on preaching. He kept on preaching, and he ended up being thrown in prison. And he wrote this from jail. The parting with my wife and poor children has often been to me in this place as of pulling of the flesh from my bones, and that not only because I am fond of these great mercies, but also because I have often brought to mind the many hardships, miseries, and once my poor family is likely to be meeting with, his, with, especially my poor blind child who lay nearer to my heart than all I have besides. Oh, the thought of the hardship I have thought my blind one may, may go under would break my heart to pieces. Does that sound like somebody who's just in torment and pain? But yet, he writes, I must venture all with God. Oh, I have seen in this condition I am like a man pulling down his house upon the head of his wife and children. Yet thought I, I must do it. I must do it. Jesus requires superior love. Does he have it from you? That's number one. So Jesus requires superior love, but Jesus also requires exclusive loyalty. In verse 27 of Luke 14, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is requiring extreme loyalty. Carry their cross is probably the most misunderstood and misinterpreted thing in, my, in Christianity. Again, one of the things that we like to do is we like to soften it. And so let's talk about how people talk about carrying the cross. 
often somebody's going through a struggle or part of their faith journey, and they'll say, well, I'm going through this illness or this disease or this struggle or this challenge, and I'm in a really bad relationship or a bad marriage, and, but this is the cross I carry or bear. That's not what Jesus is talking about there. It's not what the hearers in the first century heard when Jesus said about carrying your cross. And it's not what we need to hear today. Carrying the cross in the first century, you only carried your cross or a cross if you were a convicted criminal ready to be punished to die. It was a cross beam, sometimes 70 to 85 pounds, that was hoisted on your back after you were being beat, and you were carrying it through the town square upon your bleeding back, and everybody would spit at you and yell insults and all those kind of things to you. It was a disgraceful thing to hear when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Like, what? Today we live in a time where our cross is everywhere. When there's an accident and someone dies on the side of the road, boom, we have a cross. When many of us have nice jewelry, that's a cross. And I know that's a testament of our Christian faith. I, I, I'm not begrudging that. But we've gotten so numb to crosses, we have them up in our churches. We have nice gold ones. We have nice silver ones. Some places have them where they have like little things, little things that, are, that are relics that are in there. We have all kinds of crosses around. But for the first century hearers, it was not like that. It was disgraceful. It would be like if I said to you today that you must pick up your electric chair or you must pick up your gas chamber or your, or, or your um, lethal injection or your firing squad and come follow me. Does that sound... Heck, can you imagine if people started wearing like chains of electric chairs or we just put electric chairs on the side of the road with people's names on it? Can you imagine how weird that would... Or we had in our worship an electric chair there? And we, we sang songs like the old rugged electric chair. <laughs> right? Is, is that weird? If you brought somebody from first century and plopped them in a church, they'd be like, what the heck is that doing there? Because they understood what it meant. And, you know, even though I say electric chair and gas chamber and, and lethal injection, those are more humane than the cross was. If you're carrying a cross, it meant that you were a dead man walking. It meant no more dreams, no more plans for your future, no more ideas about what you're going to do with your life. Everything is over for you. No more pride, no more honor, nothing, because often they would hang you there naked. You're walking through a public humiliation to a cross where you'll be hoisted up, nailed upon, and die. And this is the picture Jesus gives about what it costs to follow him. What Jesus is saying is, and I have this, through the cross of Christ, we die to the life that we need to live. Now, that's nice church speak. What does it mean? According to Scripture, not contemporary or modern definitions of the Christian, you are to die. You're dead. You need to be dead to yourself, to your dreams, to your hopes, to your plans, to your ideas about what's going to happen in your life. At the end of verse 26, you notice it even says that you're not only supposed to hate those people, but you're also supposed to hate your own life too. I didn't make it up. Jesus said it. So in other words, we don't live based on what we want, what we desire, what we dream, what we plan, what we hope. Those things are gone because we're dead. 
But Galatians chapter 2, 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and no longer I live, I'm dead, but it is Christ who lives in me. So when we are dead to ourselves, we are alive to Christ, and we are dead to self-esteem thinking, dead to self-centered desires, dead to self-saturated planning for our lives, dead to self-comforting, we're dead to it all, but we are made alive with Christ, we are alive to Christ-esteem thinking, we are alive to Christ-honoring, we are alive to Christ-desire and planning in life, and we are alive to Christ-centered living. See the difference? We are dead to ourselves and alive to Christ, and our entire identity is to be wrapped up in who he is. This not only radically changes our perspective, but it also will change, if we die to self and live for Christ, it changes our priorities as well. Because Christ determines all things. Jesus gives two illustrations of this in verses 28. And 31. The first thing says, he says, we are workers constructing a building. We need to estimate the cost to see if we have enough money to complete it. This is a warning not to hastily follow Jesus. We need to examine the cost. As I mentioned, next week we are taking um, my son Jacob to school. And I know, how many of you have kids in college? How many of you are planning on having kids in college? How many of you have survived having kids in college? How many of you are in college? I will let you know, there's a cost, right? How many, how many paying that cost? Can anybody say amen? All right, yes, you say so be it. You want God to take it, don't you, all right? It's, it's not cheap. Somewhere over the time when I went to school to now, they put a lot more zeros on the end of the stuff, Right? There's a lot. It's a cost. And in some of the conversations that we had with my son when he was looking at the school and, he, and, uh, and, and going through these things is you are going to have some debt that you are going to have to pay. Amen. Mm-hmm. Notice I said you, okay? Even though the government wants to give it to me, I want him to have it. Um, so, but as I'm looking through this, there is a cost to getting that education, Right? And it is significantly higher than when it was when I went. And so in looking at that, I said, here's your options. Are you willing to pay the cost eventually for that? Right? Are you willing? Jesus is saying the same thing to us. That we need to count the cost of what is to volume, not just emotionally, boom, I'm going to follow Christ and not know what it means. Because often we can say things like, do you know that Jesus died on the cross? Yes. Do you know that everybody's a sinner? Yes. Those are good questions and things for us to know, but guess what? Satan can answer yes to both of those questions as well. So what is it going to cost you? Jesus says everything. And John Stott, one of the great preachers and authors, wrote, the Christian landscape is strewn with the wreckage of derelict half-built towers, the ruins of those who began to build and were unable to finish. For thousands of people still ignore Christ's warning and undertake to follow him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so. The result is the great scandal of Christendom today, so-called nominal Christianity. 
in countries to which Jesus, uh, Christian civilization has spread, a large number of peoples, people have covered themselves with a decent but thin veneer of Christianity. They have allowed themselves to become somewhat involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is a great soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit their convenience. No wonder the cynics speak of hypocrites in the church and dismiss their religion as escapism. Is this modern Christianity as we see it today? Half-built towers? Because we haven't considered the cost of what Jesus says. We are workers constructing a building and haven't fully done it because we haven't been willing to pay the cost. And the second illustration Jesus gives is something that Wayne actually alluded to today, that we are warriors. Look at somebody next to you and say, warrior. warrior. Go, oh, warrior. Come on, warrior. All right. That was pretty lame. All right. So Jesus talks about when a king goes to battle, he checks out to see if his forces and if he's got enough. And he, he, in the New Testament, there's so many things about talking about fighting the good fight and about that we're in a spiritual battle that is going on. And it's not a holy war like we have at the Crusades or what's going on now in our world. It is a spiritual battle that encompasses the Christian life. It's for the holiness of our lives. It's a spiritual battle that is waging for the souls of men and women and children across the planet for eternal reservations, whether they're going to heaven smoke, or they're going to hell, smoking or non-smoking. The stakes are much higher than the earthly war that we have. And Jesus says... You can sit there, but before you go into the battle, you better count the cost and be ready. Today, though, in our Christian faith, we have more of a peacetime approach. In wartime, we ask, how can I sacrifice to advance the cause? How can I spread the resources that I have? How can I affect those brothers and sisters around the world? In peacetime, we say, how can I be a little bit more comfortable? How can I experience new pleasures? How can I look to me, 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 me? And there's two great examples, and there's two ships in the history that I want to share with you that I think bring this example, particularly the second one. First one was a Queen Mary. And the, I think it's the RMS Queen Mary, which is now docked in, in California, I believe. Long Beach? Okay, in Long Beach. And, yes, Long Beach. And it was built in the early 20th century as a luxury liner, and it had all kinds of indulgences for people to go. It could fit up to 3,000 wealthy patrons at one time. And it was larger and more massive than the Titanic. But for six years during World War II, when the country was in a state of national emergency, they took the same ship, converted it, uh, sections of it, and transformed a lot of this luxury liner into a place that could transport troops. And they had upwards of 15,000 soldiers at the time. So it was completely turned upside down. Now today, if you go there, you get to see a mix of both of them. You, how many have ever been there? Anybody been there? Okay, so you have a couple people who've been there. You can see, oh, uh, here are the bunks that, where, where the soldiers stayed, and here are the luxury areas that you have. So it's very different in the same church. There's also one that is spoken about in chapter 8 of radical, and, it's, and you can go up to Philadelphia and see it. It's called the SS United States. Anybody ever seen that? The SS United States. It was built in the 1940s by U.S. lines at $80 million, and it was made to be a troop carrier that could carry 
15 to 20,000 um, troops very quickly at 44 knots or about 51 miles per hour. It could go 10,000 miles without refueling and it could get anywhere in the world in 10 days. But one of the things that's amazing about this, it never actually carried troops. There was one thing in the, in, during the Cuban invasion and stuff that it kind of got ready, but it never really carried troops. It became a luxury liner that would carry presidents and heads of state throughout its 17 years of use. As a luxury liner, instead of 15 to 20,000 troops, it began to carry some 2,000 people that had 695 staterooms with four dining halls with three bars and two theaters. It had five acres of open deck with a heated pool, 19 elevators, and it was the first fully air-conditioned passenger ship. What I'm saying is the, the SS United States was created for what? War, and it was utilized for comfort. And then when I look at this, does that describe the church today? That we are created to do spiritual battle in this world and we've got used to being comfortable in many areas of the world because we haven't considered the cost. And what would happen? Last week I gave you some really fascinating numbers. And what would happen and what would it look like as in the face of 4.9 billion people in this world that are busting hell wide open if we took a look at ourselves and stopped the church being a luxury liner and said, let's go to battle? What would it look like if we looked at the face of the 30,000 children under the age of five that died daily? And we look at our church and say, let's stop and let's go ahead and go to battle as the church of Jesus Christ and end them who are dying from preventable deaths and starvation every day. What if we say we're not going to use the ship for this anymore? Or we're going to use it for something different, something that makes it different, something that transforms the world for Jesus Christ and even transforms my heart. It's a radically different way to look at Christianity. Jesus says you have a radically different priorities if you're going to be my disciple. Are you wanting to get in battle or are you wanting to cruise down the luxury line? Number three. Jesus requires not only superior love and exclusive loyalty, but total loss. In verse 33, he says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And this one, I tried every way I could to look at nicer ways to deal with it. Ways to make me feel comfortable in dealing with it and saying it. And so I'm just going to let, if you're mad, get mad at Jesus. For the cause of Christ, Jesus says we must give up everything. The word, I even looked up the word in Greek thinking there was another definition. You know, because we like to do that at times. And what I found out, the word means to give up, to literally say goodbye, to relinquish, to abandon, and to renounce. That's worse than give up. I think we like to believe, I like to believe that I've given up everything for Christ. It's all yours. But this also, when we embrace this, this changes our possessions as well. In the book of Hebrews, Chapter 10, it says, remember those early days after you received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest on the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. 
You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourself had a better and lasting possession. You see what it says there? These early Christians were joyous that their stuff was taken because they had something better. What did they have something better? Look at Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, called the Hall of Faith. All these people were still living by faith when they died. In other words, they never turned from God. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would never have the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, listen to this verse, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them, a city for them. God is not ashamed to be called their God. He prepared something for them, and they knew that they had something better. So they joyfully accepted stuff being gone because they knew they had something better. And I believe that Jesus wants to call us to analyze our lives, not be in the style of the Christianity that we have, that some are the haves and some are the have-nots. And don't get me wrong, I love this country and the area that we live in, Yet I believe more, I, I believe that because God has placed us in this country and in this area, that people need to see the church living out the Christian faith as Jesus called us to. Some of you may right now be afraid that I'm going to change the name of the church to Haven Commune Church. And I'm not doing that, hear me. I recognize that our society is very different and we can influence if we were to go ahead and be a commune and we would get tired of each other really quickly, right? Right, Wayne? Okay, so, but what I believe is that what it says in Hebrews eleven twenty four by faith, look at this, by faith, Moses, who grew up as one of, in, in Pharaoh's house of his daughter, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. In verse 26, it says, he regarded disgrace he, he, he did this. He wanted to get rid of that stuff because he knew there was something greater. Can you imagine? Right now, we, wouldn't, we may have like a little hieroglyph of Moses. That's all we might have. But we know Moses as something greater, don't we? We know Moses as the one who walked with God, who shared with God, who gave the, God gave the law to, that God entrusted to. That, that was Moses. Moses said, I don't want the pleasures of Egypt. Why? Because I want God. I want all the things that God has for me. This is a no-brainer. You know, honestly, right here at this point, I, I, I was looking at the sermon title, and I was wrestling with sacrifice. Because when you see the reward, like for instance, if I said, give me $1,000, $1,000. I need $1,000. I need $1,000. And you're like, I'm not giving you $1,000. And then if you saw that I was going to give you a million dollars for your $1,000, would that change what you're giving? You're darn right it would. I don't have either, so don't worry about it, all right? But, but if I'm going to get a million dollars for $1,000, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be like, well, I see the reward. But if I've got to give it to you and I don't know what the reward is, then I'm a little bit, mm, right? So I struggle with the fact that we call this sacrifice 
because do we want a greater reward? Because what we see the sacrifice of Christ is really a call to the supreme reward. That he died on a cross so that we could be strangers and aliens so we have a greater reward than what we have here. We've got some really cool stuff. This is one of the coolest inventions ever, ever made. If I went back to the 20s and said, look what I got, they would be like, ah! right? Because I'd have no service because none of the towers or anything would be there and I'd be like, hmm, right? But it's incredible the stuff that we do have. Don't get me wrong. Probably sometime today I'll play Xbox, it's okay. But when I love that stuff over the call of Christ and I love that stuff more than the 4.9 billion people that are busting hell wide open or the 30,000 that are gonna die today, I got a problem. And the problem's not with God, it's not with anybody else, it's with me and it's my heart problem. Because I really don't love God superiorly. Because Christ is supreme and Jesus is supremely loving that even though he wants, he wants my superior love, Jesus in return, the reward is he's superior loving. Sacrifice, Jesus requires superior love. Reward is Jesus is supremely loving. Why would I hate my mother, my brother, my father, my sister, my wife, and everybody else for the cause of Christ? because that's superior love. And because when I love him, I get his love back and I get to spread that love, which is real love. He's worthy of my superior love. And guess what? I really can't love people unless I have him. Guess what? Jesus is supremely loyal. The sacrifice is Jesus requires extreme and exclusive loyalty from me. But here's the reward. Jesus is supremely loyal back. He will never, Scripture says, he will never leave me and never forsake me. You know how many people I've put my faith and trust in in my life and as a pastor who have used my back as a dartboard? I need the Target shirt, you know what I mean? Um, you, you know how many, anybody else experienced this in your life? People you loved and cared about and you, you went through life with and man, they just, boom, boom, right? It leaves you wanting. Guess what? Jesus will never, ever do that. So why would I give some slob my supreme love and devotion and loyalty when they're just going to kick my tail when I don't give Jesus the loyalty he needs and I know he's always going to be there? Right? Isn't this cool? But you're wrestling with it, aren't you? So am I. Here we go. So he's supremely loyal. It's a good trade because when I'm loyal to Jesus, when I'm extremely loyal, I trust him. I put trust in so many people that I could never trust. And number three, Jesus sacrificed supreme loss. The sacrifice is Jesus requires total loss for me. Everything I have is yours. Absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. The reward is Jesus, the one who requires total loss, is the one who gave supreme total loss and sacrificial loss, which brought grace and love that I don't deserve. On his way to Jerusalem in Luke 14, as we read, he's headed to a cross where he's going to lay down everything. But he's our reward, and that's the gospel. And you may say, Jack, you don't know what people are going through. You don't know that people are going through struggles. You don't know that there's tough times in their family and tough circumstances. Why would you preach on hating their father and mother and brother and sisters? Because here's the, here's the ultimate thing. This is the one thing I can say for certain that I've come down to is only Jesus truly satisfies. 
everything I bought in life, you know what, I'm like on the third or fourth version of this thing. Because guess what? If you gave me the original one now, I'd be like, really? That old thing? Because that doesn't satisfy me anymore. What do I need? I need satisfaction of Jesus. Do you want this? C.S. Lewis said of us, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in the slums because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. C.S. Lewis said, we are, and this is something, we are far too easily pleased. Are you tired of making mud pies in the slums when Christ is offering you something greater? Let's do what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so I ask you, are you willing to come to Jesus on these terms? Superior love, exclusive loyalty, and total loss. This doesn't make sense by the world. And I've been praying that God will open up our our hearts and our lives. But guess what? Sacrifice doesn't seem much like a sacrifice when the reward is so much greater. Amen. Praise team, come on up. And uh, and everybody else, just please stand where you are. Lord God, I just want to thank you right now. I want to thank you for tough words. I want to thank you for tough concepts. And I want to thank you for opening our hearts and our minds to what you would have to say to us. May we just learn to fall face down in front of you as we are all dead men walking, dead men and women walking. And that we can pray these words that you have given us to pray and we can let go of ourselves and let your Holy Spirit awaken in us. That as we wrestle with these words about what this means, God, we're not expecting anyone here to, and unless you call them, to just go and sit on on the streets and that's it. That's all you're going to do. God, we we want you to change our hearts and you've given us so much and given us so much influence. And Lord, we just pray that we can reach this world when we see these, these billions of people that are affected one way or the other. When four, when, when, you know, four billion are, are living on less than $2 a day. When, 4.9 4.9 are going to hell and we just sit and do our, our, our stuff and just pat ourselves on the back and move on, that we're secure. Yeah, we're secure in our faith, but God, can we live that out? Cause us to be radical. Move with your Holy Spirit in this church as you did in the first century in those first believers to change your world, to change this world for you. you the world may look like it's going to hell in a handbasket, but it's not gonna go without the church of Jesus Christ making an impact in the world. We've been far too silent in all facets of our lives. And so God, right now, I pray for everybody here who picks up this, this, uh, this book, for everybody who picks up your word and really wrestles with that. Lord, just have us be the church that you would have us be. And so God, I'm just gonna open up the altar right now as our Stephen ministers up, for, up front to just be available for what you have to call us. God, I pray that you will keep us from Satan's lies and deception and it just speak to us your truth and what that means for us and the relationship with you and for our church and for the church universal. I pray that we look back in a year and we say, wow, this was transformative for me and for my church and for the world. And we are forever changed. Thank you, Jesus. So as we come to this time right now, God, just minister to our hearts and our minds. 
And may we hear your words once again in our hearts. And may we seek your face and your direction. And may we die to ourselves and live for you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Please come, the altar's open. I just want to say as he's beginning to play, the altar is a place of death in the scripture. And if you have stuff that you can't die to or stuff that's held you from being who Christ calls you to be, come and lay it down at the altar today and die to it. Lost are saved, find their sound of your great name all condemned feel no shame at the sound of your great name every fear has no place at the sound great name the enemy he has to leave at the sound of your great name Jesus worthy is the lamb that was slain for us son of God and man
that's chaining you from, from getting to God that's holding you back you guys got that in your mind right now close your eyes and think about that those things that are holding you back Lord God we just, we just lift these up right now to you Lord break these chains Lord break these chains 
There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. Sing over time. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, break every chain. Break every chain to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. Awesome, awesome. Um, so I'm not going to say anything except for uh, just I just got a feeling strongholds are, are beginning to fall, if not falling already. Um, next week, next week, radical splagnizomai. Y'all know what that is, right? have no clue, right? It's a Greek word. Look it up and you'll find out next week. So yeah, it's not spaghetti. It's not a pasta. It's not that. Um, but we're going to go ahead and embrace that. I'm going to tell you, it's going to be, be about heart. It's going to be awesome. So go ahead. Hope to see you next week. High five somebody, knuckle punch, say, woo! Oh, how this all ends and you know where